How many of you love to be put on hold when you're calling someplace? <laughs> That's one of my favorite things to do. L- listening to that elevator music is being played. And finally, after about 20 minutes, they come on the line and says, For a live person, push three. <laughs> oh, I tell you. Sometimes you get the runaround, don't you? When you're trying to get a hold of somebody to do your business. We call that kicking the can down the road. That's a colloquial way of saying that something's being passed on or delayed or sent on to somebody else. The last time we were together, two weeks ago, we met a guy by the name of Felix who listened to Paul's case but dismissed him and just kept him locked in prison hoping to receive a bribe. And after two years of kicking the can down the road, Felix was removed And there was a new Roman governor. He comes on the scene, and his name is Festus. Now, he is tasked with dealing with Paul in Acts chapter 25. In this passage, Paul's case faces more can-kicking as we read in Acts 25, 1 through 12, as we look at Paul before Festus. Follow as I read the first 12 verses. Now, when Festus had come to the province after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there... Be judged before me concerning these things. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I've done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one could deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar." Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. Father, we come in your presence today and pray. As we look at these details of Paul's trial and being referred to one person after another, I pray that God, your Holy Spirit, would use these words to challenge our thinking. Help us to learn from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we got a new guy on the New kid on the block. His name is Festus. He is a Roman governor. Now, if you remember anything about the Bible history, Rome 
uh, was in control of the whole land of Palestine, and they would set uh, various of their officers over certain areas of Judea. Remember, Pilate was a Roman governor, and then last time we were together, we seen that Felix, and now Festus is the new governor of the area. He's got a new job. Now, as we look, first of all, we see in verses 1 through 5, the Jews are at it again in this plot to kill Paul. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Portius Festus. He was the procurator or governor of the province of Judea from 58 to 62 AD. But what history discloses about him is favorable. His desire is to rule well, is attested by going to Jerusalem three days after arriving in the province because he knew that he's got to keep these Jews happy if he's going to be successful at being the governor. No doubt he'd heard of the volatile nature in the city. One item heavy on the minds of the religious authorities when he got to Jerusalem was all about Paul. I mean, say, hey, we got a new guy. The, the Jews were saying, we got a new guy here. Let's, let's get him and let's get him on our side. Perhaps we can get rid of Paul. They knew their case was weak So the only way they could get rid of him themselves was have Festus send Paul from Caesarea up to Jerusalem. It's a long road, and we are going to ambush him on the way and make sure we take care of this this self. Remember the 40 guys that promised not to eat anything uh, until they killed uh, Paul? I imagine they were getting very hungry by now, but still the job had not been done. Well, they give some accusations, these Jewish leaders, when, when, they came, when Festus came to Jerusalem. They give some accusations against Paul. Evidently, Festus felt their request was unreasonable. So he promised to reopen the case down in Caesarea. Paul was already there and Festus had to go back there also. Now, in verses 6 and 7, the scene of the previous trial is repeated itself. And Luke added that these Jews bring serious and many charges against Paul. And then verses 8 and 9, Paul briefly and categorically denied the charges. So Festus is new and he wants to make friends. He wants to not have the Jews uh, against him. So he asks Paul, would you be willing to go back to Jerusalem? You know, that's, but that's a, would you willing to jump back into the fire after you got out of there? No, of course not. And Festus had changed his mind on this because he wanted to placate these Jews. So he was trying, realizing he did not know really how to handle this case. Look at the attitude of Festus in verse 9. Now, he's a Roman governor, and he's not even Jew. He was more honest than Felix, but there were certain things about him. He just lacked understanding. In verse 19 of 25, we read this, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed, because I was uncertain of such questions. This is uh, Festus talking about He did not know anything about this. Now, a lot of times we find in life that 
people who are acquainted with the Christian way really don't understand it at all. You can be smart about a lot of things and just don't get the message of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He also says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, but they are spiritually discerned. I remember watching uh, just a couple weeks ago an episode of Jeopardy, and uh, I always like it when they have the Bible questions, you know, because I can ace those pretty good. (laughs) But you know, when they had this uh, Bible category, and this woman was answering everything right, and then she got into the Bible character, and, uh, well, let's go to the book of Job. I said, you get an idea that she probably didn't know her Bible very well, that it was Job. (laughs) She didn't even know how to pronounce that. So uh, people could be smart about a lot of things. But it it, it fits into Festus' category. These Jews are talking about religion. Paul is talking about, I have no clue what's going on. Religion to me really is a waste of time. Spiritual things are foolish. The Bible is confusing And then when you see Christianity displayed, sometimes people just think of hypocrisy. You know, it's a dangerous thing. You know, I I, sometimes I I read of Christians who are celebrities, and it's always very, very dangerous to be careful how you walk when you are a public figure, because it only takes one one stupid thing, and then those who were up there high and lifted up, and everybody was looking at them, and then they go and they divorce and they get mad and they do things that are ungodly and unbiblical. You see that on a regular basis. Well, Festus had no clue about spiritual things at all, and also he wanted to curry favor with the Jews in verse nine. Felix knew that Paul should be released right then and there, Festus did. He was just beginning his new job and he needed to make friends. He basically wanted to throw them a bone to keep them happy, just like a typical politician who will try to make his donors happy and give them something to support himself in that. Well, that was... uh, Festus here as he is hearing these things. Now, he is listening to Paul's defense in verses 10 through 12. In verse 10, Paul is once again declaring his innocence. It says here, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged to the Jews. I have done no wrong as you know very well. Now, for if I'm an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. Paul knew he would be in trouble if he went back to Jerusalem because they were going to lie in wait. I can't help but feel, as Paul is remembering the words that the Lord spoke to him before, you will go to Rome. Remember that uh, Paul, uh, God appeared to him in a vision and says, you will stand before me in Rome. And maybe this was his way to get there, appealing to Caesar. Uh, This is maybe the time for that. I'll uh, appeal before the emperor to hear my case, and they have to take me to Rome. So Paul does that. He appeals to Caesar in verse 12. We see, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, you've appealed to Caesar, 
To Caesar you shall go. I think that there's some important principles we can learn here. The first one is Paul is submitting to governmental authority. He is putting himself in the hands of the governmental authority. He doesn't say, well, I'm a citizen of heaven and you governmental leaders have no authority over... No, no he, he is putting him in the authority of the Roman government, not denying that. Also read Paul's letter to the Romans in Romans chapter 13. There is no authority except authority given to them by God. So he is acknowledging governmental authority. I think we need to take a lesson from that. We need to see that God ordains governments over men. Because if we didn't have government, the wickedness of the human heart would break out and all kinds of uh, bedlam would happen. A second lesson that I see here. Paul even acknowledged the death penalty here in verse 11. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. Now, capital punishment was in uh, the Roman government here. This, if uh, it was unbiblical, Paul could have used this opportunity to deny it. Of course, he didn't have much choice in the matter. But he is acknowledging that the government has the right to take a human life. And we find that in the Old Testament as well. Uh, if whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And we see that time and time again, and even verified here in the New Testament. So, to answer the question, is the death penalty biblical? I would say, yes, it is, and I, I would be very cautious and careful about it. But Paul is, is acknowledging that here. Also, he is resting in God's sovereignty. Putting yourself in the hand of a Roman, Roman uh, uh, Caesar is not, this, not the most safe thing to do. But he knew that wherever he went, whatever he was doing, he was safe in the sovereign hands of God. He was trusting God, not the government. And I think that we need to realize that in our day-to-day -day life when things go wrong, when things don't work out. We are not trusting in this person to bail us out or this authority. We're trusting in God because we're his children. And that's what Paul was able to do. Well, let's look at verses 13 to 27. Festus is now kind of in a, between a rock and a hard place. He told the Jews that we're going to take care of things here. We're going to take him to Rome. We're going to send Paul to Rome to appeal his case before Caesar. And he's scratching his head. He says, okay, I've said it. Now, what am I going to tell Caesar? Why am I bringing Paul to him? He's breathing some relief, but he does have a problem. How could he send a prisoner to Rome for trial without a case against him? And then he gets a knock on the door. A visitor comes to the palace, welcoming Felix to his new position, and his name is Herod Agrippa. He gets a visit from them. Now, the Herods knew the Jews very well, and Festus is thinking, Wow, somebody who's an expert in the Jews and all of this dispute. I'm going to run this whole case by Herod. We pick up the reading in verse 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, 
Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a certain man left a, uh, a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It's not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay the next day, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. <clears throat> this is the visit that Herod Agrippa and Bernice visiting Caesarea. Now, King Agrippa was called King Agrippa II. He was the son of Herod Agrippa I and a great-grandson of Herod the Great. Um, Matthew 2, when killed all the babies under two years old when Jesus was born. So he's from a, a long line of treacherous, terrible kings. At this time... Uh, Herod Agrippa II was about 30 years of age, the ruler of the territories north of, northeast of Palestine in the title of king. He was a friend of the Roman imperial family. He, he got the privilege of appointing the high priest, so he was in the upper echelons of the political powers, powers that be. His background made him eminently qualified to hear Paul because he was acquainted with the Jews' religion. Now, Agrippa is there with his sister by the name of Bernice. Now, Bernice, uh, uh, we, we do have a Bernice in our congregation, but uh, she wasn't like this, this Bernice at all. <clears throat> this Bernice was kind of a loose woman. Uh, she actually, even though Herod was her brother, she had an incestuous relationship with her brother. She was sleeping with her brother. So really, wickedness was going deep in the hearts of these two people. Now, Festus reviews the case before Agrippa. And we just read that passage of Scripture. He rehearses the case up to the present. And now, Paul is brought in to stand before Herod Agrippa. And that's where chapter 25 leaves it off. And Lord willing, next week we're going to see what, what Paul says on trial before King Herod, Agrippa. We'll look at that next week. But what I want to do is take some time now and look at some practical applications that we can learn from Paul as he is standing through all of this putting on hold for two years in prison, as he's there being referred to one, uh, one ruler, to another ruler, to another ruler, I see some lessons. The first one is a lesson that we can learn from Paul. Can we exhibit faithfulness in the midst of injustice? 
Paul was treated wrongly. He should have been let go. But of course, the Roman uh, governor wanted to curry favor with the Jews and they wanted to get a bribe out of him. And there's so many things. How many times in, in our lives have we had to say, that is just not fair? That's not fair. I told my kids <clears throat> when they were getting older, you're going to face a lot of things in life that are just not fair. What you do with that treatment determines the kind of person you're going to be. Paul exhibited faithfulness in the midst of injustice. He was in prison wrongly. Joseph was put in prison wrongly, but Joseph exhibited a life of faithfulness even when he was treated wrongly. I don't care what others are doing to me. I am going to do my duty to God and be faithful to him. Have you ever been passed over for a promotion? The insurance company didn't pay what they were supposed to pay. There's a lot of injustice on a daily basis. It can wreck your life. It can turn you into a mental wreck. But you need to be, as the example that Paul sets, being faithful to what God has called us to do. And sometimes he will allow injustice in our lives. I just was reading a, a letter from one of our mission agencies, Baptist Children's Home in Michigan. They had to shut down their, their resident care house because the, the government of Michigan decided that you have to give these kids 24-hour-a-day care. In other words, when they go to sleep, somebody's got to stay awake. And every 15 minutes, you've got to go check on these kids to see if they're still there. Are you awake? Yeah. <laughs> Are you still there? Yeah. <laughs> That, that was what the government decided. And not only that, when they go to school, they can't be gone to play sports. They can't be out of your care unless you're there watching every practice they take. So they had to shut down their residential care facilities. And is that fair? No, it's not fair. But there's going to be a lot of government regulations, and probably even more so as we get closer to the end of the age where we're being picked on, uh, persecuted. But we need to be faithful to the Lord, even in unfair treatment. Second application. Can we display patience when life involves can kicking. What does it take to get your blood to boil? What does it take to, for you to lose your temper? <laughs> Some of us, it doesn't take very much. <laughs> we like to get things accomplished. Paul was told by the Lord that he was going to go to Rome, but it's taking a long time. He spent two years in prison. Now he has to deal with another politician. Don't you just love to stand in long lines? Don't you just love governmental bureaucracy and red tape? Uh, missionaries getting visa applications face this on a regular basis. Some, sometimes things just take a long time. And we need to develop the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience. Waiting and trusting in God. 
Third application that I think we can learn from Paul and his time there in Acts chapter 25. Can we feel the sovereign hand of God in our confusion? It may take a while. God's ways are often roundabout. But we have his promise that he stands with us, he's pleased with us, and he has work for us to do. As Paul knew, he had work for him in Rome. I can rest in his hand. I may have shared this with you. I, I know I put it in the, the moment of meditation on the bulletin today. I just want to share. Uh, years ago when I was pastoring in northern Iowa, I, I had a, an office in the balcony of the church, kind of right up there. And the church was a small church of about 60 people. And they had windows on each side looking out, not like the stained glass. They were just clear glass windows. And I heard something. I heard something down in the auditorium. So I went down the stairs and I saw a sparrow was loose in the church. And the sparrow was flying around looking for a way out. He had gotten in under the window air conditioner and couldn't find his way back. So what he was doing, he was flying from one side of the church to the other because he saw the light, he saw the window, he flew there, no way out, flew there, no way out, flew again. I kept watching him until one time, he, he decided to make a break for it. He flew so fast, he hit the window pane and it stunned him. And he was there on the floor. So I went over and I picked up that sparrow in my hand. And I could feel the, the rapid heartbeat as he was panicked, looking for a way out. And he, but he didn't struggle at all. He just realized that I got him. And so I went over to the door and I just let him go. We need to remember that no matter what we are panicking, we can rest in the Father's hand. He has got us. We're his children. He loves us. And no amount of beating our heads against the wall or against the, the way out is going to be. We just need to trust him. And Paul could rest in the sovereignty of God's mighty protection because even in the middle of all of this can kicking and all of these governmental red tape imprisonments, God has got him. And my friend, I want to tell you, God's got you as well. If you know him as your Savior, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are one of his children, and you're precious to him, and he wants to release you and set you free. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that, Father, if there's one here that has never made that decision to trust Christ as their Savior, I pray that, God, you would speak to that heart today. I pray for the Christian today who is beating their head against a glass window, trying to get out, trying to be set free, to be what... I pray that, God, you would give them the calmness and the patience and help them to realize they can rest in the Father's hand today. And now, Father, as we make a transition to our Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross what he paid for our peace, what he went through so we could be the Father's children. I pray that you would draw him close to our heart today in this memorial of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.